Welcome everyone to the Practicology Podcast. We have spoken recently on this podcast about dating and the goodness of marriage. So it's also right that we talk about the subject of singleness. All of us were single for a good chunk of our lives and it continues to be the calling of many of our beloved brothers and sisters. That's right. And I'm glad you mentioned it as a calling. When you use that language, Mike, it helps us to think about the sovereignty of God in our lives, right? Yeah, absolutely, because the word called is a common word in the New Testament, and it speaks to us of a divine calling. In other words, God has called us. And I guess my point at the beginning was that God calls all of us to be single for some of our lives. None of us were born married, of course. And then for others of us, he provides the calling of marriage. And for others, he calls us to remain in singlehood. And God is sovereign and good in both of those instances. Okay, good. And uh, I think this is one of the points of 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, It's a bit of a controversial chapter, admittedly, because of some interpretive challenges and debates about what the Spirit of God is teaching us about divorce and remarriage. But I want to highlight verse 17 of that chapter. It says, Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. And also verse 7, actually, earlier in the chapter I wish that all people were as I am, Paul says, while living a single life when he said that. But each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that. And brothers and sisters, uh, just to reiterate, Matthew's point in highlighting those verses is that we would get a sense of God's sovereignty and his goodness in our life circumstances. Verse 17 spoke of the situation the Lord assigned him when God called him. And then verse 7 says, each one has his own gift from God. So God is not withholding his goodness from us in our lives. He is not trying to find a way to piece things together when his plan A and B and C didn't fall into place. The Lord is sovereign and the Lord is good. But how that goodness plays out isn't the same in each person's life. Yeah, each one has his own gift from God. And for myself, let me state I don't think that 1 Corinthians 7, 7 is saying that every believer who is single has a special supernatural physiological ability for celibacy or singlehood. I don't think that's the sense of gift there. Notice he says everyone has a gift in verse 7, including married people. Uh, So I don't think he's saying there is a supernatural physiological ability that God specially grants just to married people for sexual desire, for example. And Many single people, I think, would certainly profess that they don't seem to have any special physiological ability for singleness, that they, in fact, want a partner very much. So the word gift does not have to mean special ability, is my point. The giftedness relates to the calling, or it is perhaps grace for the calling. If you are married, that is a gift from God for you to enjoy and use for his service. If you are single, that is a gift and a calling from God for you to enjoy and use for his service. Near the end of the chapter, verse 35, Paul writes, I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that statement, as well as a couple of other statements in this chapter, uh, do does lead some people to think that Paul is saying that singleness is actually better. It's it's, it's good, and, and marriage is a lesser calling than singleness. So uh, what would you say to that, Matthew? Well, you brought it up, Mike. What would you say to that? <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to put that back on me, Matthew. Um, but uh, at the very least, this is a corrective, right? This is a corrective to um, maybe a predominant 
uh, emphasis in, in the church where where we really have pressured singles to to feel inferior unless they they are married but first Corinthians 7 is, is coming along and is truly extolling the merit and and some advantages of of singleness and uh, at the same time we do have to pull Ephesians 5 into this and and uphold the value of marriage. I think I think you've done that in recent episodes as well. That marriage is a tremendous gift, a tremendous calling. But uh, but we need to have these passages side by side and affirm the the goodness of both of these callings. Yeah, that's good. This isn't the only passage that deals with the subject in the Bible. So no, I don't think First Corinthians seven is teaching that you are more spiritual if you commit yourself to a life of singleness. Uh, it was God's idea to create the first woman for the first man. And after he brought her to him, he said it was very good. So Paul isn't opposing the Genesis model. Uh, celibacy is not more spiritual than a marriage union. God's word exalts the significance and sacredness of the physical union of a man and woman in marriage. And actually, 1 Corinthians 7 encourages that sexual relationship within marriage. But what 1 Corinthians 7 is saying is that married life does come with some challenges and restrictions. And there are some life stresses that marriage and family life bring that aren't as likely to be encountered in the single life. Married life adds some complexities to life, some responsibilities and attention to things that single life does not require. And 1 Corinthians 7, also remember, it is written in the context of some significant distress, verse 26, the details of which are not crystal clear to us, but I think that also factored into Paul's teaching, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I'm not 100% sure how to take that, but uh, but it's definitely a factor um, as we think about this. But your point is, uh, God created the institution of marriage, and there is an intrinsic goodness to it. Uh, we made this clear back in episode 145, marriage is normal, marriage is good. But that might make someone ask, is singleness less than good? Well, it may make some people ask that, but the answer must be no for multiple reasons. Let me start. You can come in here too, Mike. Uh, but again, this is 1 Corinthians 7. You can't read 1 Corinthians 7 and come away thinking singleness is bad. Paul writes in verse 7, I wish all men were as myself, meaning unhindered by marital responsibilities. Again, verse 7, everyone has his own gift from God, including singles, and God doesn't give bad gifts. Verse 8, to the unmarried and widows, in other words, to single people, it is good if they remain as I am. And then, uh, verses 26, 27, it is good to remain single and it is good to remain married. So you can't read 1 Corinthians 7 and come away thinking singleness is a lesser form of God's goodness. Right. Yeah. And I think another obvious element to this whole discussion is our Lord Jesus himself. Uh, remember, brothers and sisters, your Savior was a real man and he lived a single life. He had companions of both sexes but no romantic relationship with another individual the whole days of his sojourn here. So it's inconceivable for us as followers of a man who lived in singlehood to say singleness is inherently wrong or inferior. Amen. Sam Albury has a good line about that actually in his helpful book, which we recommend, Seven Myths About Singleness. He says, The moment we claim a life of celibacy to be dehumanizing, we are implying that Jesus himself is only subhuman, but he is the most complete and fully human person who ever lived. I think that's good. So the culture may imply that 
that single life, that celibate life, you're, you know, you're missing out on this fundamental aspect of what it means to be human. Well, Jesus was a real human. So as you say, Mike, our Lord shows us singleness can be good. And in light of that, let's not give the impression then that marriage is a requirement in God's eyes or that it is a requirement to be valued in the church. Single people are just as valuable as married couples. They serve the church in so many vital ways. And we'll come back to that more shortly. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I love that line from Sam Albury there. And uh, and I guess, I mean, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, Matthew, but we just do have to be careful that um, in some of our joking around and innocent comments, you know, that, that we don't communicate actually a message that's very much in disharmony with 1 Corinthians 7 and with the Bible's overall message about singleness, right? And and we can we can make comments and, and so on that that does have the effect, I think, of, of pressuring Christians who are single. And so we, we need to be on guard against that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And don't take from any of today's discussion either that we're downplaying marriage. Again, Mike just referenced episode 145. Um, but we are attempting to provide some balance to the issue because while God created marriage, God has also seen fit to appoint many of his children a life of singleness. And that may not entail you feeling no desire for a spouse. It simply means God hasn't yet given you a spouse. But in your calling of singleness, God will be faithful to you and will give you grace to fulfill your calling in his will. Yeah, yeah. So if you are single today, our good Father in heaven wants to walk with you in that calling. And if you get married one day, that's wonderful as well. There, there will, That will be a new calling for you. But for today, don't look at it as just waiting in limbo until the real calling comes. No, you can walk with the Lord today as he's called you in singleness. Right, which reminds me of something I think we should clarify in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. Okay, well, I don't think Paul is saying that your current circumstance must be retained forever without change. But he's getting us to see, again, the Lord's sovereignty and goodness in whatever our circumstance is. Recognize your situation as part of God's calling. It, it might not be retained forever, but recognize it as from God now. He'll follow that up, Paul will, by saying being in Christ means you have freedom. So whether you're circumcised or not, slave or free, married or single, you are still free to serve Christ. And that single person's freedom is something that Paul actually highlights later in the chapter. Uh, In verse 32, he says, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. So there are advantages to singleness. Don't look at it as a, a a wasted time or time in limbo, but just live out your current calling for the Lord. Excellent. So let's give some specific points of counsel for single Christians. Actually, some of this is going to be for married Christians too, but just to help you maintain a God-glorifying perspective of that single calling. Uh, I'm sure we're borrowing some of this from Sam Albury's book uh, that I mentioned a minute ago, read it years ago. Uh, Thank you, Sam. But here's number one, reiterating what Mike just said, your singleness is for the Lord. You may not be bound to a man or woman, but you are bound to the Lord. You are Christ's servant, 1 Corinthians seven twenty two. Right, yeah. So don't fall victim to the idea in the culture that 
Those poor married people cumbered with children are so tied down by their families, but I'm free to live life for myself. And we see this today, um, uh, Instagram influencers, and, and they're not just celebrating the single life, but doing it in a, in a way that counters what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 7, where it's all about uh, um, celebrating the lack of restrictions, the lack of responsibilities, and so on. But, but what we've said here is that you do have fewer restrictions, but recognize that as something you can use for the service of the Lord. And Matthew and I know that you are doing that already. We're not rebuking you. We're encouraging you, and, and we're so thankful for you. Because in the work of the gospel in the church and in our own families, we have been immensely blessed by Christians who are single, using their time and flexibility for the Lord. So just keep up that good and noble perspective. Your singleness is for the Lord. And let me continue that thought, Mike. A second piece of counsel for singles is that being single does not mean you cannot have children. As a Christian, you worship a man who is biologically childless, but he speaks in Hebrews 2 with these words, here I am with the children God gave me. Hey, there are untold billions who need to be born again, and you may be that very vessel God wants to use to bring them the gospel and share the message of life with them. Uh, you could become a father or mother in the faith in that sense. Y your circumstances may be exactly what God can use. And it's not only a case of unbelievers who need spiritual birth. There are also so many Christians' children who could use another godly influence in their life. You could be a father to them. You could be a mother to them in the faith. Our children have certainly been blessed by people just like that. So being single does not mean you cannot have children. Hmm. As you say that, Matthew, I'm just um, a, a man's face flashed before my eyes. Uh, he's a young single man and um, instead of being bitter with God about his uh, lack of marital status right now, he is uh, just using his freedom to cultivate relationships with unsaved men and some Muslim men and and, um, and I, I believe the Lord is giving him spiritual children as well. So that's great. And just another related point, not only can single Christians have children in the sense that you've just explained, but they also have family. We are all part of God's household, so that's what a local church is for. And our Lord spoke of the significance of spiritual family even, even before he introduced the, the concept of the church. Way back in Matthew 12, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And when the Lord promises reward to Peter in Mark 10, uh, along that same line, he speaks of the age to come, but then also speaks of people in this age who follow Christ and receive houses and brothers and sisters and mothers. Right, and, and we all have a role to play in that. Uh, are we providing those houses and relationships to our single brothers and sisters? And not just hanging out with people with kids like ours, or not just planning events um, for our fellowship that's exclusive to everyone who's in the same um, family situation as we are, but are we are we getting creative and, and just opening it up for others who are not in the same um, family situation as ourselves to join in? Absolutely. I mean, you want to have a games night with your kids? Great. Think about inviting someone else to join or you're going to the beach. Maybe someone else who doesn't have kids to take to the beach. Maybe they'd love to play with your kids at the beach or just watch them playing at the beach. Maybe they'd find that relaxing and enjoyable. Or as I've said before, maybe you're changing a diaper. Well, invite the young people over to join you. Did you just say changing a diaper? I did. <laughs> 
Well, I can think of uh, no greater encouragement to someone who's single than um, to invite them over to watch you change a diaper, Matthew. But, you know, as I remember times, uh, the, the times before I was married, um, I'm so thankful for those who were married and they folded me into their life. And, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking, again, of how this goes in the other direction. I'm thinking of how so many friends of mine who are single have, have reached out to us as a family and have uh, taken the initiative and said, we want to do something with you or we want to, uh, take, we want to use our freedom, basically, to look after your kids so, so the two of you can enjoy something. So, um, yeah, this is, a, this is a, uh, a responsibility that we all have roles to play in. Excellent. And uh, still on this thought of maintaining a God-glorifying perspective in your calling, let's remember, while marriage may be a dream for so many of you, keep in mind that earthly marriages are only temporary. The marriage of a man and a woman is for this life only. It's not a relationship we will need or even want in the age to come. Because all of God's children will have the superior relationship of which earthly marriage is only a picture. Exactly. And our union with Christ is the key thing, the much bigger thing. Marriage is good and wonderful. I'm so very thankful for the wife God has given me and the marriage we enjoy. But marriage isn't to be worshipped. God is to be worshipped. Marriage isn't where we find our ultimate fulfillment and the satisfaction of our deepest desires. No, Christ is. Christ is greater than your prospective marriage partner. And I actually don't think we spend enough time, Mike, thinking about human marriage as a pointer to the divine romance and the relationship of Christ and his church. Christ is the bridegroom for whom we all wait. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I was just reading this morning, Matthew, uh, Psalm 45, where uh, the, the poet, he is just uh, celebrating the handsomeness of, of the king and uh, the grace is poured upon his lips. And of course, ultimately, according to Hebrews 1, he's speaking of Jesus Christ. And then he turns his attention to the bride, right? And, and the poet is just celebrating this, this union between the bride and, and the king. And we would do well to follow that poet's example, as you're saying, and just <clears throat> take time to dream of our wedding day and, uh, and to anticipate the, the joy, the fulfillment, the love, the intimacy we will experience with Christ. That's lovely. Now, Mike, I have a Bible interpretation question for you that I haven't given you a heads up about another question for you. You ready? Uh, no, but go ahead. In light of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, uh, the qualifications for an overseer, an elder in the local church, does being single prevent a brother from being an overseer? Huh. Wow. Way to give me some prep time on that. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think so, Matthew. I think that an elder can be a Christian who's single. And uh, I guess one of the lines of argument I would use for that is um, th those qualifications also talk about having, you know, faithful children or believing children. Mm -hmm. But would we, would we extrapolate from that and say, okay, well, you can have a married man who doesn't have children, but unless he has children, he cannot be an elder. I, I don't think so. Um, I, I think those requirements are assuming that um, most men in that culture would be married, and if they do have children, that those children should be, um, you know, they should show evidence that the father knows how to manage a household, right? And, and so I do think it's possible for a man who's single to be a leader in the church. 
excellent on-the-spot answer. Of course, the, and the expression, by the way, that we're thinking of brothers and sisters is when it says that the elder must be a husband of one wife. And I would say those passages are not speaking of marital necessity, but of marital fidelity. So let's keep in mind that uh, so much of the teaching and pastoral care that we read about in the New Testament came from the pen of a man living a single life, and that is the Apostle Paul. Yeah, that's really helpful, Matthew. And, uh, you know, I'll just share one other thing that has helped me. I've always struggled with, and we've alluded to this already in the episode, but I've always struggled with what Paul says about marriage and singleness here in 1 Corinthians 7, and again, how highly he speaks of marriage in Ephesians 5. And I've always wondered, well, how do those two things go together, you know? But um, a comment in the book on marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller has been very helpful for me. And what they point out is that actually Paul in both of these passages is relativizing marriage a little bit, you know? Like, so 1 Corinthians 7, it's really obvious. It, it would almost seem as if, and maybe he is, um, that, that Paul is elevating the single calling above the marriage calling. But it's really helpful to see that even in Ephesians 5, there's something similar here. Marriage is being relativized. In other words, uh, human marriage between one man and one woman is, is being exalted and it's being glorified and spoken very highly of. But even here, Paul is saying there's actually something greater and that is that this human marriage that that uh, some of the believers are in in Ephesus is pointing to that more ultimate relationship of um, the bride of Christ, the church, with the Lord Jesus. So I, I put that out as, as something that might be helpful. Good, thank you. And I guess one other thing I would like to add too, uh, while we are encouraging people to embrace their single calling, and uh, you're just pointing out, as, as I mentioned, you know, that marriage isn't everything, uh, we aren't saying that it's wrong for you to want to be married. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this and you're trying to use your singleness for the Lord, but you're still thinking, yeah, but I'd rather be married. I'm saying you don't need to feel guilty about that. Desiring marriage is a normal thing. We're not advocating for singleness over marriage. We're not saying people should remain single longer than they are. Uh, we are saying that if that is your calling today, you can experience God's goodness in that but it's certainly not wrong for you to want to experience his goodness in marriage as well. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that, Matthew. And, you know, um, to be honest, First Corinthians 7, um, for, for quite a while, was part of a number of passages in the Bible that really um, kind of hung me up regarding marriage. Like, I, I, I will go into it maybe more in another episode, but I, I wasn't able to proceed in, um, in my pursuit of Helen, uh, because of guilt and so on, thinking that I shouldn't want to be married. And so I I just totally echo what you're saying, that it is good to want to be married. Of course, there is a risk in being desperate to be married. Mm. And uh, if you're desperate, if you have to be married in that sense, then you're at a risk of settling for someone you shouldn't settle for. Uh, You're at a risk of missing out on the goodness of God's calling for you today. But even in this chapter you've brought us today, Matthew, Uh, Twice we read Paul saying, let them marry. Right. Thank you. So make it a matter of prayer. Maybe talk to some older Christians, married and single, for some counsel if you'd like. But whatever your circumstances are, use them for the Lord and his glory. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Matthew, for bringing us this helpful teaching. And we'll look forward to seeing you all next week. 